The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Amplifier Advisors, LLC, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jonathan Aberman. Leadership, mentorship, and success in the workforce are tied very closely together. You can't have one without the other, and careers are made or broken on an individual's mastery of these important skills. Yet so much of the opportunities that we have to learn these skills, well, they don't generally focus on the specific challenges that women face in the workforce. Well, we're going to address that specifically today in this What's Working in Washington Extra So if you're a woman looking to accelerate your career or a man looking to be a better colleague, our show today will be of special interest to you. With us in the studio is Professor Carly Speranza of Marymount University. Carly, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jonathan. And Cheryl Williford, Chief Operating Officer of Modus Create. Cheryl, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jonathan. Well, both of you come at this issue with different, different, I would say, areas of expertise. Carly, you're very much involved in this academically and also professionally in in your past life in national security. Cheryl, you... You manage one of the fastest-growing software companies in our region. So let's begin with this. Um, Why is this issue of getting leadership, mentorship properly trained into women so important to you personally? Personally, as a female that has come up through the ranks of management and consulting and leadership, especially here locally in D.C., I think it's very important to me to be able to portray an example for the women and the young women in the area. I think there's an especially kind of interesting aspect to it here in the D.C. area where there's a lot of federally based organizations as well as commercial organizations. And in that world, it's much more even traditionally male in the in the government sector, in the public sector than in the private sector. So being able to be out in the community and, you know, speak to women, speak to young women, um, live by example of how to, you know, navigate those waters and come up through those ranks, I think, is really helpful here locally for women coming up through the federal space as well as the women coming up through the commercial space. And I think it'll help tie those two ecosystems together um, really well, you know, going forward into the future. And I think women have a strong place in that in that tie of, you know, not just promoting more women up through the leadership ranks or leading by example through the ranks, but also tying some of these, you know, more esoteric economic worlds together. Carly, how about you? So today, women make up roughly 56% of college students nationwide. However, they're still having issues breaking into that C-suite or even reaching mid-management levels. And we found that in every space that women have reached that executive level, they add growth, opportunity, diversity, innovation, and the bottom dollar to an organization. And women today are still struggling with how do I get to that placement? How do I get to that space that I can I can reach my full potential within a company? And sitting at Marymount, I've had many students ask me, how does this work as a young female? What does my space look like when I graduate? And so we decided to look into this and just start talking to them and saying, hey, let's let's figure out how – How do you find mentors? How do you grow confidence? How do you make your own space when you get out there? So first of all, the the issue these days is not women having access to higher education. Correct. In in fact, I've I've heard where there's almost at some point 
an affirmative action program to have more men, young men in college these days. It appears the, the issue is not having intelligent women into a university or an academic setting. It's as also students. as students. Good point. You know, we still have a, a significant differential once we get up into the academic leadership. With respect to the workforce, are women also a majority of the workforce now, of the professional workforce, or, or are they a, a minority there right now? Women are actually a majority of the workforce, probably about 50 to 51 percent, roughly. They're also 51 percent of small business owners. So women are making a difference. Where we're seeing the biggest gaps, first, the biggest gap is is political representation. It's roughly between 20 and 25 percent nationally and uh, locally across the U.S. But then in the C-suite, only one out of every five um, C-suites have a women member in in those cabinets right now at the top businesses. So it sounds to me, and and Cheryl, it would be interesting to get your perspective on it because you've you've pushed through this issue. It, it, it sounds to me like the pyramid, as it were, of, of life. You know, mm-hmm. you start out Everything's a force function. Get it? You get educated. If you get educated, you get to an interesting job. Which, but the funnel follows and and, and, and narrows and narrows to leadership. You know, CEO, political leadership, division leadership. What is it about the way the workforce works right now that that runs against the ability for women to compete equally for those type of opportunities? Yeah, it's a you know it's a very interesting um, question, Jonathan. Obviously, one of the most important ones. And it's, it's very true. So I've spent my career in the commercial side, um, in the technology sector, and in, largely in consulting. And while Carly points out the statistics and the numbers that, you know, that do hold true, and I see this in the workforce where um, the percentage is roughly 50-50 of, of male to female women just in the general workforce within the organizations. But absolutely throughout my years, I've seen as you go up the, the ladder, so to speak, the proverbial ladder, um, that disparity is is larger and larger and larger to the point when you get to the C-suite, there are still very few women. And it is typically one, you know, female at the table with, you know, about a half a dozen or so males. Um, so it is a problem that does still need to be, you know, addressed and, and conquered. I, I think the easy answer to address your question of, of what are the preventative factors that hold women back, I don't necessarily think that's the right way to even it. I mean, the, the facts are there and, and the truth is there, right? But the holdback, I don't think, is a specific thing. It, it's not as if there is a group of men sitting in the conference room saying, hey, what are we going to do to keep women out? That's, you know, everybody just That likes may have been good the case workers, 20 or 30 right? years ago, though. Or probably even longer than that. I mean, I don't, I, I honestly have never experienced that sense or that feeling, right? All people, men and women, both genders that hit that C-suite or those executive tiers, or those higher leadership tiers, they just want strong people with great leadership capabilities to run the companies, to run the teams, to manage the people, to manage the things. So I think what we need to look at is where does that disparity happen that those skills stop being accreted by women, or women stop pushing themselves forward, or they're not recognized for some reason just because of the way men and women think differently, that potentially they're not actually seen if, even if they're there. And I think that's the way we need to start, you know, addressing the difference here or what's causing that disparity within the ranks um, and solving at that level as opposed to coming at it in terms of, you know, what's holding women back. You know, it's like, 
it, it, it's what's what needs to change within this sector to change the outcome. And and I think one of the uh, and Carly and I have spoken about this a little bit or a lot actually offline. One of the um, determining factors I think is just the confidence level as well. And I think that'll get into some of your future questions here too. Is the that women carry with them that confidence that they actually can get to the next step, you know, so that they're not holding their own fears aren't holding themselves back. Is that really what? So it's not right now. We've we're past the point of overt exclusionary behavior, but now we're into something. Either we're not describing or thinking about leadership in a way that actually is holistic. You know, it tends mm-hmm. to be very patterned towards male types of behavior. Yes, absolutely. Is that what it is? Carly, what do you think? Well, you've got agentic and communal traits that are somewhat different. So the bottom line is, yes, male and female leadership tends to be different. Um, and what's happening right now is that uh, the research is showing is that women are typically not as aggressive. Um, they're, they typically undervalue themselves, almost uh, 20% less valuable than men believe they are. Um, one of the statistics I love to throw out there is that women will typically apply for a job when they are 100% qualified, men 60% qualified. So women don't tend to put themselves out there as often as men do for those, um, for those opportunities. And one of the things that I've told, uh, in, for instance, my national security career, my promotions were made through men. Men were the men were my mentors, and men helped me. And I and they were they were phenomenal champions for me. I actually didn't work for my first woman role model until I was in national security about ten years. It's also a lack of role models out there, a lack of seeing what's possible when you see that there are women in the C-suite, when you see the route that a woman has taken, it makes you more likely to think, yes, I can get there. Why not me? So when we come back after this break, let's what's working at Washington Extra. I want to continue our conversation. Let's turn it to where women are strongest and the workforce, where they are most likely to be effective leaders and what kind of unique skills do they bring. I'm here with Professor Carly Speranza of Marymount University and Cheryl Williford, CEO of Modus Create. We'll be right back. Thank you to our sponsor, the Greater Washington Board of Trade. The Greater Washington Board of Trade represents leading businesses, nonprofit organizations, and academic institutions, and has helped shape the development of our region for over 130 years. Visit boardoftrade.org to learn about how a Board of Trade membership can help your organization succeed in this rapidly changing marketplace. What's working in Washington Next? We're talking about specifically leadership mentorship for women in the workforce and career development. I'm here with Carly Speranza, Professor Carly Speranza of Marymount University and Sher Williford, COO of Modus Create. Before the break, I promise we continue our conversation. Let's get to it. Where are women the strongest and what unique, what unique skills do they have? Carly, I'll turn to you first. 
So one of the things that we found is women are stronger in transformational leadership, meaning they're more, they tend to be more inspirational. They tend to have a higher degree of emotional intelligence generally. They're better at listening skills and team building, especially when an organization is going through a large change or there's periods of conflict. Women tend to rally the troops, tend to get more buy-in and tend to listen a bit more closely um, than men to. They're also, they tend to be more likely, probably about 5% more likely to make ethical decisions in the workplace than men do. Sure. What about you from the perspective of entrepreneur? Pretty much along the same lines as Carly's talking about from the from the perspective of um, entrepreneur and transformational organizations in general and, you know, companies that help other organizations go through transformation. Women do bring a trust level, I think, that does help rally the troops. So I think in general, more people open up and talk to women and they'll talk about, you know, what some of the struggles are. Men and women both, I think, can open up to women more than they'll open up to men. Mm. So as they're going through some really tough decision-making processes in the organization, especially in the face of transformation um, at the business level or at the technical level um, or at the financial level or even at the political level, men and women both will seek out a female leader to soundboard with and to bounce ideas off of or to talk about their vulnerabilities or what their concerns are. And that's a great asset for women to actually internalize and know that that's sort of one of those soft inherent skills that I think women excel at or have because of the fact um, that they are women in general, um, that if they're aware of that, they can really help organizations, help their own career, help other people's career by understanding they're going to get a lot more um, personal information from their co-workers, from their leaders above them, and from people that they're leading as well. And they can use that information to help mentor. And so that's a great aspect of providing mentorship to help within the organizational ranks also. Well, that's a key issue. And I think I want to turn to next, the idea of mentorship, you know, helping people develop. I, I suspect that one of the reasons why women are so well-suited to succeed in today's workforce is that the expected model of leadership these days is servant leadership, the idea that you don't dictate to people, you bring people along by delegating authority and giving them uh, encouragement to uh, execute. As we start to think about these inherent advantages, you know, the combination of empathy, a willingness to learn, delegation, servant leadership, that women seem to be at least indexed towards, if not over-indexed, compared to a male command and control leadership style. How can women position themselves within organizations for promotion and advancement? Jonathan, you bring up an excellent question. One of the things that women can can do more is there has to be opportunities. They have to, when they're thinking about wanting something or a new opportunity comes up, they need to trust themselves. They need to trust their expertise, their intelligence, their education, and put their names forward. Their mentors, if they, a woman or a man, if you see someone that is suited for a certain position or promotion, with women, you are more likely to have to go and have that conversation with them and give, give a little bit more of a push. Women are not typically going to barge into a room and say, hey, this is for me. This is perfect for me. That's just not happening in the workplace as much as as it could. So women really have to have that confidence and the innate drive to say, yes, I'm ready for this. I can tackle this. Put me in. Charlie, I know you care a lot about mentorship. You're doing, you're always involved in it. How does this relate to your life passion around mentorship? 
Well, from, from both aspects, from a receiving it and from giving it, I think to Carly's point, women are less likely to barge in to the superior, their superior's office and say, I want this position, give it to me. In terms of mentorship, I think that's a very important thing is for women to help mentor other women that are coming up or trying to accrete more skills and, and grow their career path to let them know to be more assertive. So when we talk about, you know, how, how can women position themselves better to rise up the ranks while they're even using these intrinsic skills that come along with being a woman that add, you know, value and diversity in leadership. Also speaking to men that are great mentors as well and just asking them, what are some of the things that I could be doing different to help me get up the ranks? And it's usually not about take this class or you're missing this piece of education. Uh, the one thing I learned, and I learned this from every male mentor that I had, um, and one point on that is seek out mentors, male or female, that are giving you great information at a personal level that you feel is valuable, as opposed to having somebody say, I'm going to be your mentor, or you know, don't wait for a mentor to be assigned to you. If there's somebody that you're really impassioned about what they do and you want to follow their career path, go talk to them. And that's mentorship in itself. It doesn't have to be this assigned programmatic type of thing. It's, you know, building alliances and networking within an organization and, and building your own mentorship path of, you know, making sure that you're open to receive information that you know is going to be valuable to you, yourself personally, to your future. Often mentors don't know their mentors. They don't know that they're providing information to other people that are really taking it, at, you know, to heart and taking it home and spending a lot of time over the next years following that path. What kind of advice could you give specifically to our women listeners about how to develop mentoring relationships with, with superiors? How do you find a mentor and, and get somebody to want to mentor you? One thing that I've noticed is that women will tend to try to go, especially if they're entry level, they try to go right to the top. You need to find somebody probably that's in that mid-level, maybe somebody that you don't even work directly with or for, maybe it's across an organization. Find someone that you would maybe want to be or a position that you would like to be in the next five to 10 years. Just have a conversation with them. Ask those questions. Say, hey, can we have a coffee one day and talk? Can we sit down and just and talk about this? But you also have to, they're not going to give you a pathway. You have to have an understanding of maybe where you would like to go or what are those opportunities. The other thing I'll tell you and, and with everybody is work is not enough. Your work product can be absolutely superior, but if you don't get along well with others, if you can't build, if people don't trust you, if you're, and I keep, said, I said the word earlier, barge into the room. Don't literally barge into the room, ladies. You know, and be diplomatic. Yes, literally barge into the room, ladies. <laughs> you know, what you touch it to, so much of what we discussed today uh, is relevant and applicable to my own career. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've had, I have great mentors. There are people in town here that, I've taken real interest in my career, both younger and older than me. You know, somebody doesn't have to be older than you to be a mentor. True. A mentor is somebody who Absolutely. takes an interest in you. And I have found that you you have to execute, you know, on a, on a regular and consistent basis, right, Cheryl? I mean, it's not just, hey, let's have coffee. You have to you have to walk the walk. And mentorship is something that develops organically over a long period mm -hmm. of time. It doesn't happen through a coffee, right? Yeah, absolutely. You have to execute and you have to follow through and – you have to show results and, you know, you have to be able to present results in a way that can be consumed as well, right? So even if we're not talking about work product and we're just talking about the outcomes of mentorship, whether you're receiving it or providing it, 
if you're going through your career path and you're meeting regularly with somebody that you consider as a mentor, somebody that has a career that you want to follow, and even if it is just a quarterly, hey, let's have coffee, let me let me chat with you, provide information back to that person as well. You know, again, they may not know that the information they're giving you or these coffees or these conversations are helping to craft their career. And even if they do know, they may not realize themselves what is the most impactful conversation and what is not. Again, back to not everything being like a hard skill or an academic skill. One of the best pieces of mentorship I ever received that I received from a couple of male mentors was learn to negotiate better. Negotiate, you know, you're out negotiating contracts and and large deals. Negotiate for yourself and your career and your tactics too. So apply some of your hard skills to your own self. So give the feedback just as you would give data feedback to such as reporting and dashboards out at work on your output, give that feedback to the people that you can center your, your mentors as well and say, hey, that, that piece of information you gave me, Jonathan, has helped me over the last five years and I am at this level now because I relied on that. And that gives the person that's providing you mentorship a lot of feedback to know, hey, this is a really important thing for women in general to know. So as I'm talking to other women, you know, Cheryl told me this really helped her. I should give that same piece of information out to other women trying to get up this path also. So it is bi-directional and there's a responsibility for somebody that's being mentored to actually help the people that are helping them. You know, it's it's the circle, the virtuous circle of giving back, right? It is a virtuous circle of giving back. And it's also, I think, as we wind up this really illuminating conversation, the best run organizations, in fact, have circular and cycles to give information, get information and organic. Uh, in how they they grow, right? They they grow by empowering people, whether they're introverts, women, men, to succeed, and then giving them feedback. It, and in, in other words, as we conclude this, it seems to me we've talked about women, but ultimately organizations need to tolerate and encourage diversity so that everybody has an opportunity to grow. Carly, I'll give you the final word on that. I don't know if it's just you're you're correct about the diversity, but it's also the recognition that. Leaders need to understand followers have more power than they've ever had before. It's got to be a team effort, and you, you've got to get the buy-in from everyone. And the buy-in from everyone means bringing those creative ideas, bringing those ideas you haven't thought of, bring in people that have different experiences, that, yes, they look different than you, they have different education than you, but surrounding yourself with others that are exactly like you is not going to get you to the innovation and the creativity and the market space that you crave. It's a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed having you both in the studio. I've learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Sher Wolford, Chief Operating Officer of Modus Crate, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And Professor Carly Speranza of Marymount, it was great to have you as well. Thank you. And now, non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. We land on the year 2020, a date many of us dreamed about as children of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. We are genuinely at a crossroads between technological developments and the ability of the law to keep up. Technology in the areas of automation, robotics, artificial intelligence, genetic mapping, virtual reality, big data, drones, autonomous vehicles, blockchain, and supercomputing are all moving faster than our courts and regulators can either understand or manage. So many legal issues are raised by these technological developments, and as we begin this new decade, there are virtually no answers 
neither in the U.S. or abroad, as to how these technologies should be regulated. For example, who or what is responsible in a collision that causes harm when a vehicle is driverless? Ditto with drones. The drone pilot? The drone manufacturer? None of these issues are clear in today's legal environment. Number two, how do we balance privacy concerns with supercomputer-driven power of big data and data mining? Europe last year passed the GDPR. There are rumors that the U.S. will draft equivalent or worse legislation coming in 2020, but no one knows exactly how to deal with the delicate balance between data mining and privacy. Next, over a billion jobs, that's right, B with a billion jobs, will be replaced by automation and robotics over the next five to ten years, possibly even more than that. Are we ready? How will our workplaces change? Or the nature of work itself? What will be the legal rights of these billions of displaced workers? Will robots eventually have rights, protections, and benefits in the workplace for themselves? Next, how will we re regulate or even can regulate the blockchain if it becomes the new normal for payment, banking, real estate, and many other types of transactions? And beyond that, who or what will be responsible for defective or dangerous products manufactured at human-free facilities or for a bot surgery if it's performed by a robot? So as you can see, we don't have a lot of time to figure this all out. These technologies are not some episode of the Jetsons that we can dream about 20 years from now. They're here and now, and they're growing and evolving every day. The time is now for our courts, lawyers, and regulators to become more forward-thinking about the legal issues that these technologies are bringing to our daily lives. That was your non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. Thank you to our sponsor, the Greater Washington Board of Trade. The Greater Washington Board of Trade represents leading businesses, nonprofit organizations, and academic institutions, and has helped shape the development of our region for over 130 years. Visit boardoftrade.org to learn about how a Board of Trade membership can help your organization succeed in this rapidly changing marketplace. We believe there's such a need for authentic information that's positive and useful. You know, there are many, many people here in the D.C. region who get up every day and just get after creating new things and are committed to making our community better. My producer, Tracy Madigan, and I speak with people every day that tell us amazing stories of, that they want to share about the progress they're making, the things that they care about, and why they're proud to be part of the greater Washington community. You're going to meet many of them on this show. That's what working in Washington really means to us. Now more than ever, I feel that a positive voice is needed in our society, our communities. We need to make sure that we reach each other and that we work together. And we'll do our best to make sure that we're genuine and every show provides you with useful insights. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, and our web writer is B. Aldrich. Music provided by two local bands, The Sunbathers, and my own band, Two Car Living Room. A special shout-out to Marymount University School of Business and Technology. I'm the dean there now, and we are working hard to help our students master business and technology so it doesn't master them. Check us out at marymount.edu. And, of course, thanks to Active Navigation, Sarefloor Shaw, and the Greater Washington Board of Trade who provide the financial support to make this show possible. 
If you have a story idea, don't forget to tweet us at What's Working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at 2.30 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.